Hit it. Tune into the manifesto hosted by Emily Wheaton, Logan Cook, and Logan Bishop. The Political Science Society's new radio cast. Catch us on local 107.3 FM and wherever you find podcasts. Welcome to the manifesto. I'm your host, Logan. Today, my guest is Jonathan Penno, co-leader of the Federal Greens. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Logan. So, first, I want to talk about the co-leader. Uh, campaign that you and us with May ran last fall. Can you talk more about why you guys went with two leaders instead of one? Certainly. I mean, this is a, this is a model that is uh, currently in use in many uh, green parties throughout the world. Uh, it's also a recognition that uh, the, the problems that we are faced with as a, as a planet, as a country, uh, require more than one person at the helm. Uh, mm-hmm. We're a fundamentally cooperative party, uh, collaborative party. And we uh, we've, were also uh, quite inspired by uh, Quebec Solidaire, one of the provincial parties in Quebec, which also has uh, two leaders or co-leadership. Um, and Elizabeth and I, in many ways, uh, are very complementary. Uh, Elizabeth, of course, has, a, a, has had a, a very long career of, of serving Canadians and uh, working on environmental issues. Uh, my background stems mostly from journalism and, and human rights work abroad. Um, and as the climate emergency is undi- undeniably uh, the greatest threat to human rights globally, I think, yeah, I think we, we form a very strong team, uh, Elizabeth and I. Now, of course, the, the one caveat to all of this is that, uh, and as we explained during the leadership campaign, uh, our constitution currently doesn't doesn't allow for co-leadership, so we are engaged in a constitutional review process, and hopefully the members of the Green Party of Canada will will support the bid. Um, meaning that in the meantime, Elizabeth is the the leader, um, and I'm the deputy leader. But in practice, we uh, we share uh, we very much share the work. Can you talk about the like the campaign that you guys ran on? Because I you, you guys were contesting the election. I don't remember how how many candidates there were, but can you talk like what did what were you, what was your platform and what did you pledge to do as co-leaders of the Greens? So the Green Party is an interesting party where um, by and large policy decisions, policies are, are established by members. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and so the, the term leader might be a bit um, a bit of a, a misnomer or a bit misleading in the sense that we are by and by and large, uh, primarily the spokespeople for the Green Party of Canada. The Green Party is much bigger than the leader or the leadership team. It's really about the members uh, from coast to coast to coast. And so a big part of our um, of our campaign, of our job uh, was to really meet with members um, in various provinces, uh, listen to their concerns about the way the party has been managed and, and presented over the past uh, two to three years. Of course, it's, it's, not a, it's not a surprise or not a secret that the party's gone through a, a rough patch um, mm-hmm. in, recent, uh, in recent years. Uh, there's a need for us to renew the message, refocus the message and uh, the perception that Canadians have of, of the party and prepare for the next election. Um, so our campaign was very much focused on, on 
you know, providing the basis for the party to be successful again. Um, and uh, we run a very beautiful campaign with other fantastic candidates who were uh, both brilliant, committed to the party and, and its principles. Uh, there were in total six leadership candidates, um, including two teams of uh, that were proposing co-leadership. Um, mm -hmm. So Chad Walcott and Anna Keenan from uh, PEI also ran a, on a co-leadership slate and uh, Simon, uh, Simon and Sarah Gabriel uh, were both running separate uh, campaigns um, and we're very glad to, uh, to, 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 to to be able to say that they're they're now still very much a part of the team and we're very uh, we're working closely and very well together my next question is about what has happened since 2019 in 2019 the greens won three seats the most seats ever won two in bc and the one here in fredericton but come 2021 they lost this the green in Fredericton defected to the liberals and they lost the CNBC and gained one in Ontario. Can you talk about like what do you think happened between 2019 and 2021 that caused the Greens to lose their momentum? I think in many ways the the the, the problems that the Green Party faced were uh, were a crisis of growth. Uh, the party the party uh, of course had a leadership transition. Uh, we had uh, we had a new leader who came in with, uh, with, with certain ideas about how the party should be run. And, and these were, uh, not necessarily appreciated by some, some of the, the members, um, that caused conflict. And, uh, sadly it led to indeed the, the, the departure of, uh, MP Jenica Atwin from the Greek caucus, um, the, the internal turmoils of the party, didn't quite help us get uh, Paul Manley reelected in the Naimo Lady Smith. However, uh, a new uh, member of parliament joined our caucus, Mike uh, Morris from Kitchener mm -hmm. Center, who's still uh, with us, who's doing some fantastic work in the House of Commons, representing uh, the interests of, uh, of, his of his constituency and, and much wider, uh, in fact. Uh, and we're, uh, we're really uh, refocusing now to make sure that we, uh, we can be uh, competitive again um, as, as a voice, as an alternative for change for Canadians who are tired of the status quo of parties that promise uh, the moon and deliver nothing. Um, and, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing, of course, Canadians um, struggling with the cost of inflation, with uh, a, a, crime, a climate emergency that is uh, growing stronger uh, every every single season. Of course, in the Atlantic, uh, you, you guys uh, saw the, and experienced the, the, the terrifying storm that the storms that Fiona brought forward. Mm -hmm. um, all of these things, they require strong leadership, they require strong investments. And sadly, uh, we've been accustomed with the liberals and of course, the conservatives uh, to, uh, to a record of inaction on climate and uh, not doing nearly enough to reduce social inequalities throughout the country. And so we, we believe it's important to bring in alternatives. Um, and that's what the that's what the Greens are here for. Uh, not long ago, the UN released a report saying that we are essentially running out of time to prevent catastrophic climate change and that countries like Canada need to slash carbon emissions by half by, t by 2030 into zero by 2050. What can the federal government do to ensure that we reach those targets to serve off 
I don't even know climate catastrophe. Well, the, the short answer is much, much, much more. Uh, mm -hmm. The federal government just released its, uh, its budget um, on Tuesday this week. Uh, it was an extremely disappointing budget in that it, it fails to, uh, to really address the, the scope and the emergency of the, of the climate uh, crisis. Um, the first thing that, that the Liberal government needs to do is to cancel TMX. Uh, TMX is a pipeline out west, which was bought with uh, taxpayers' money. Uh, it's sort of a hidden subsidy to the oil industry, which in Canada remains a private industry, private investors. Um, you know, most of them are Canadian companies that are located in Canada, but most of their shareholders are not Canadian. So that means that the profits of Canadian oil, by and large, go uh, abroad to people who uh, often form part of the 1%. And this year, we saw that these companies uh, in Canada made uh, record revenues of uh, $66.7 billion, if I'm not mistaken, or $66.5. It's an awful lot of money. Um, and one would think that with these revenues, they would be able to uh, take care of themselves um, but, uh, but the Liberal government so far has continued this, um, this, um, this unfortunate tradition of subsidizing uh, the oil industry uh, with, with taxpayers' money. Uh, so this pipeline TMX, which was bought for $4.2 billion, uh, is now uh, running way over cost in parts because of flooding in BC, which is a direct result of climate change. Mm -hmm. uh, and the costs are now estimated to 30, uh, well, well, over, over $30 billion, which wow. is... Uh, which is a lot of money. And then the yeah. question is, well, what could, uh, what could a, a socially responsible and environmentally responsible government do with that money? How many housing units could be built? How many uh, could student loans throughout the country be forgiven uh, with that amount of money? Could we have more investments in, uh, in, 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 in our infrastructure to, to make our communities more resilient to climate change? Uh, so really the first thing that needs to be done is for this government to stop subsidizing this privately owned uh, oil industry that is killing the planet and affecting communities throughout the country. The second thing that needs to be done is strong investments in ensuring that the oil workers uh, and, and people who work in the extractive industries uh, can be transitioned um, uh, into renewables. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a lot of work to be done to prepare our country uh, to face a climate emergency. We need more resilience at the community level, um, more uh, electricity that can be produced more closely to home. Uh, that requires, you know, we require good workers uh, to do that work. And, uh, but, but for that to happen, we need to see strong investments. So why don't we use the money that's currently being spent on these, um, on these, uh, these, these corporations and use it instead to invest in our own population and our own workers and making sure that they, uh, they can participate in the creation of, of this green economy, which, uh, which is so badly needed. And, you know, the U.S. understands it, uh, China understands it, Europe certainly understands it. They're all investing uh, huge amounts of public money into this trend.
position. And yet here in Canada, we're still very much lagging behind, uh, which of course has an impact on our emissions and our participation in um, the furthering of the climate emergency. I, uh, something that stuck with me from what you said, I, I know the government bought that pipeline a couple of years ago. I knew it was over budget. I didn't realize it was $30 billion. That's, that's, a, that's a lot of money to be putting in a pipeline that really is not needed as much as the government thinks it is. It's infuriating. The truth is it's infuriating. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, every day, um, you know, and I'm lucky enough to, to, to have a, to be, to be able to rent an apartment here in, in, in downtown Ottawa. And every time I work, uh, to, uh, to the office, I, I, I bump into dozens of people who are in, you know, who are unhoused, who are uh, living in the streets. Um, the number that the housing crisis in this country is, is horrendous. Uh, the levels of inequalities, uh, the inequality between higher top earners and average, uh, Canadian families have been growing. Uh, Canadians are now facing with record inflation, uh, which is partly the result of uh, poor economic planning of uh, the climate emergency itself and um, the war in Europe. And and sadly, we continue to subsidize uh, big oil, big companies with public money, and we are failing to address the needs of our most vulnerable uh here at home and that's uh that's that's just uh it's a treason of our of 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 canadian values in many ways my next question is still on climate change it's about our reliance on fossil fuels too for our energy needs how 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 does a government diversify the power grid away from fossil fuels into more renewable energy and my second part of that is what are your thoughts on nuclear so uh, on on the first the first uh, topic, you know, Canada is full of incredible resources. Uh, Quebec already produces a lot of electricity, and and a lot of that extra electricity is being exported to the United States. Um, the reason for that is that no federal government ever really invested in a national grid, a national electricity grid. Now, the good news is that in this latest budget, we are seeing um, we are seeing the beginning of a discussion around around that issue. Uh, various provinces have various comparative advantages. Um, Alberta, Alberta. Uh, has has an incredible advantage in terms of geothermal energy uh, with all the wells that have been dug uh, that are now abandoned and quite frankly a, an environmental disaster in the waiting uh, these could be turned into ge- geothermal uh, ge- geothermal facilities uh, but that that requires investments uh, we have such an incredible potential for solar for uh, wind uh, energy and um, and so the, the sources uh, the sources of energy in this country are, are multiple uh, just just like they are everywhere throughout the planet but it's a question of distributing that that energy uh, in a way that that makes sense given the size of our ter- territory and and one first step in making sure that that happens uh, is through um, is through the construction of a, of a national electricity grid uh, it's much easier right now to send electricity down south in the U.S. and it is uh, between provinces, and that's a problem, and that's a, that highlights a lack of federal uh, leadership on that topic. Um, on the question of nuclear, of course, nuclear is is very uh, 
very enticing and and you know it, it looks all cool and all um mm-hmm. but but the truth is and quite frankly recently in europe we saw um we saw record droughts last summer um and uh rivers were extremely running extremely low um the thing with nuclear um is that you require you need water uh to uh to cool down the the the, the facilities um in a world where water supply is becoming more and more uh, un- unsteady, uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it pauses very significant risks to uh, the safety of these um, of these uh, these facilities. That's that's the first thing. The second, of course, is the is that even though you know, and, and the industry will tell you, yeah, yeah, there are many ways to you know, safely dispose of nuclear waste. Uh, the reality is that the, you know, most of this waste right now is being buried, uh, but it still leaks um, and it still has an impact on the environment. Um, the third point I'll, I'll bring forward is, um, is that, a, you know, political and, and geopolitical instability. Uh, these, uh, we like to think um, in, in places like Canada or the US or, or you know, Europe, uh, that uh, we live in, in stable countries and that the stability will remain with us for you know the foreseeable if not the even longer future mm-hmm. um, and and I'm sure that uh, Ukrainians also thought the same a few years ago and now we are seeing combats taking place right next to uh, Chernobyl which of course uh, is, uh, is is, is uh, well known but also next to another nuclear plant in Zaporizhia uh, and that is causing a threat not just to the people around that area, but to you know people throughout Europe. Um, if if uh, if we were so lucky, unlucky as to see uh, any any significant damage caused to the Zaporizhia um, nuclear plant, so there are real concrete risks uh, with with these plants. We saw that as well with Fukushima in Japan in twenty. Uh, 2011, 2012, I can't quite remember the date. Um, and so, um, and so these are all things that need to be taken into consideration when people, uh, you know, bring forward, uh, uh, the, the, how, how amazing and, and nice the nuclear, uh, agenda, uh, and nuclear perspectives, uh, look like. Um, my next question is the liberals and the new Democrats have been in a confidence and supply agreement since I believe last fall. What are your opinions on the coalition between the liberals and the new Democrats? I'm all for coalitions. Um, and in many ways, our, our, our government would work much better if we had mm-hmm. uh, a greater diversity of voices in cabinet. Now, this uh, supply and confidence agreement between the NDP and the Liberals is surprising to me because the Liberals have, uh, th- you know, throughout their tenure have shown uh, anything but predictability and and um, and the respect for their promises. Uh, you know, you'll remember that in 2015, uh, the Liberal uh, Party promised to um, to reform our electoral system. Uh, mm-hmm. They said that several times during the campaign. In fact, they set up a commission that uh, explored various avenues for a new electoral system to make our, our system more representative and democ- democratic. democratic. Um, 
And uh, and at the last minute, they 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 turned around and said, "Well, actually, no, we're we're not going to reform uh, this electoral system because it you know because it benefits us. It benefits the big parties, um, and the liberal party is not interested in sharing power with uh, with other people. Uh, the liberals also promised stronger climate action, uh, and then they turned around and bought a pipeline." and give uh, new licenses to uh, oil companies to explore and drill for oil off the coast of Newfoundland. Uh, the Liberals also promised to reduce inequalities in this country, and um, and, and yet we are seeing uh, that the housing crisis, the inflation, is uh, deepening the divide between the haves and the have-nots. Uh, and uh, so, so it's, it was very surprising to me, and it remains a bit of a, a, a huge question mark as to why the new Democrats would uh, would would feel that the liberals were worth um, their trust and confidence. Um, mm-hmm. They're not, um, you know, I, I have very limited confidence or trust in the liberals. I think many Canadians share that feeling. Um, and, uh, and so one truly has to wonder why, um, why the new, the new Democrats decided to enter into this agreement. Um, if not to ensure potentially that their, their leader, uh, could spend some more time in Ottawa, uh, before getting booted out, uh, by their own troops. I don't know. Um, these are questions that one will have to ask them at some point. The, uh, the next federal election could happen at really any time between now and I believe October of 2025. What will the green platform look like and how do, how does the, how do the greens plan on winning back the voters they lost in 2021 and gaining new voters across the country? Our main, our main platform is quite simple. We want stronger climate action. Mm-hmm. We want a democracy that works for Canadians and mm-hmm. we want a guaranteed livable income for all Canadians uh, to reduce inequalities, to make sure that uh, people, families, um, seniors throughout this country don't don't struggle economically as much as they do at the moment under this unsustainable economic system that the liberals and conservatives are so keen on maintaining and protecting. so very once again it's quite it's quite simple we, climate action democracy and dignity for people uh, this is the this is very much at the heart of our program in terms of winning back voters elizabeth and i are traveling throughout the country um, we will continue to do that until the election uh, we are finding right now we're quite excited uh, with uh, with some of the 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 candidacies that we have for some of the upcoming by-elections um, in winnipeg uh, south center in portage lisker Calgary uh, Heritage and uh, soon in Notre Dame de Grasse, uh, Westmount as well. Uh, these will be interesting times for us to get back into the arena and uh, remind people that there are other alternatives to the Liberals uh, and the Conservatives. Um, and um, and we're, uh, we're, we're, we're quite confident Canadians by now will have seen uh, the real deal uh, that the liberals and the conservatives have to offer. Uh, and that deal is, uh, is one that's very beneficial to, uh, to people who have uh, who already have money and resources to the big investors and big oil, but not quite so beneficial to average Canadians. 
You talked about the upcoming by-elections. Do you plan on running in any of the upcoming by-elections? No, I will be running in the general election uh, when time comes. Uh, in the meantime, though, I'll be very happy to uh, be traveling. We were just in Winnipeg, and I'll be uh, I'll be traveling throughout the country to support our amazing candidates uh, whenever these by-elections are called. Do you have a seat that you are planning on running in the next general election? Yes, but that you- will remain a secret for now. <laughs> Thought I would try. <laughs> um, Give me a second. Provincial Greens from multiple provinces, such as here in New Brunswick, PEI, and BC, have seen recent electoral success. Like the BC Greens were part of, my, were part of a government NDP. The Greens and PEI were the official opposition, still are. How can the federal Greens continue on the success of these provincial parties and win votes and seats in these provinces? We have uh, we have a lot to learn from our provincial cousins who have been doing mm-hmm. such incredible work in BC on in, on PEI as well as you mentioned they are uh, they are still the, the the official opposition of course there's an election provincial election that will be held on Monday uh, and we're very much hoping to see uh, potentially the first green government uh, at the provincial level we're very mm-hmm. excited for uh, Peter Bevan Baker and and his amazing team out there who have been doing, and I have to say, they've been doing such incredible, incredible work uh, at the ledge on PEI. You know, we've seen, of course, uh, David Kuhn and his team as well doing Mm -hmm. fantastic work in New Brunswick. Um, You know, the key to the the, the green green success really, really relies on, on community involvement, being close to the community, listening to the community, uh, and representing the community. Uh, this is something that Elizabeth and Mike Morris here are doing extremely well in Ottawa. Um, they are among the most productive, visible MPs of any MPs besides, you know, of course, the, the, the leader of the opposition and, and, and the federal cabinet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it comes to the impacts that Greens and Green MPs are able to achieve in Ottawa, it's, it's, it's truly quite spectacular. Um, Elizabeth just passed her third private member's bill, which is uh, extremely difficult for, for, for MPs who aren't uh, in government to accomplish. Uh, it's a bill on environmental racism that's very deeply rooted in her own experience of, of working um, in, in, on Cape Breton, uh, fighting pollution and the tar ponds in, uh, in, in that area. Um, it's also very much deeply rooted in advice and, and uh, the experiences of people of color, of indigenous Canadians uh, who have been exposed to uh, pollution for all too long with no avenues to turn to, to fight it off. Uh, so it's a really important bill. Uh, that will have a concrete impact in the lives of many Canadians. And we're very proud uh, of the work that that Elizabeth's done on on that bill. Um, Really, you know, it's it's true. um, By representing constituents, by fighting for the interests of our communities, this is is how we Greens win seats. It's not by Mm -hmm. cozying up to the big interests and 
accepting donations from uh, big money. It's by being there and showing up for people, uh, listening to people and picking up the causes uh, that are important to all Canadians. Uh, climate, of course, is first because without without the healthy environment, everything else crumbles. We've seen that uh, over and over again. Uh, the food security, uh, security period, our economic opportunities, everything is impacted by the environment. Um, and uh, we're going to continue to uh, to fight for, for Canadians uh, until the next election and, and well after it. You you mentioned the work that uh, David Kuhn and the other Green on Malaysia, I've, I have interviewed all of them and I'm interviewing David next week. The work that they are doing, I find is, it's great for New Brunswick. They are doing great work in the province. They are. They really are. Yeah. A question that I asked, I asked Mike, Mike Morris when I interviewed him about a month ago was about the, the train system here in Canada. The, the trains, huh. I, I think a high-speed train system would be great, or even a functioning train system across the ponds would be great. What do you think about having more trains and high-speed trains connecting the cities and provinces of Canada together? We absolutely need that. Look, mm -hmm. I mean, I lived I lived in Europe for uh, for for six years in Germany and Norway. Uh, Norway has a very complex geography as well, right? It's it's mm -hmm. full of mountains and fjords mm -hmm. and and rivers and lakes. Uh, they have they have an incredible train uh, system that works very well uh, that can take you from you know one part of the country to the other in a few hours that has a high frequency but also at a, a tiny bit more of a high speed than here uh, germany of course is among you know the world leaders when it comes to uh, rail transportation uh, canada needs to invest more in its uh, train system um, it's 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 truly uh, it's truly a shame right now when we you know I took the train recently from uh, from Moncton to to Montreal and it was a beautiful train ride but it was also very very slow uh, and you know it's uh, it's an experience but if you are in a rush or if you need to get from point A to B uh, it would be nice. And I think everyone would agree throughout this country that it would be nice to be able to travel mm -hmm. from Quebec City to Toronto in, you know, less than five or, you know, roughly five hours uh, with the high speed train. train. Uh, the Quebec, Quebec City to Windsor cor Corridor um, is, is, is certainly one of the places where we could have uh, one such great train, uh, mm -hmm. high speed, tra high speed train um service. Uh, the same applies to the Calgary-Edmonton uh, region. Um, so we need to be inventive, but all of this requires investments. And, um, and right now, once again, you know, we've had governments that prefer to give money to big oil and big corporations rather than invest in strong infrastructure that uh, will make us less mm -hmm. dependent on cars and will make us more connected as a nation. And that's uh, that's a shame. My my next question is of it's a foreign policy question. It, the past couple of weeks, there have been massive protests in Israel over Netanyahu's plan to reform the judicial system. Do you have anything? Do you have any comments on what's happening in Israel? No, um, I mean Israeli democracy has been uh, has been imperfect for a very long time. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I worked with a human rights organization called Human Rights Watch, which produced a report that describes and 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 uh, which describes the occupation in the in the occupied territories as as uh, as tantamount to the crime of apartheid. And I I have uh, the most. Um, the most absolute trust in the in that conclusion and in the work that my colleagues have done amnesty international also um came to the same conclusions uh to me it's it's essential that canada continues to press uh, or in fact starts <laughs> to press israel to uh, to respect the, hu the fundamental human rights of, of palestinians and uh the right to exist and uh and and um but 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 more importantly uh, I think I think we, when when we look at the Middle East and the conflicts in that area, we need to start to factor in uh, the devastating impacts that climate change is already having and will continue to have on the region. This mm -hmm. is a very uh, densely populated area uh, that's very susceptible to droughts, uh, where water sources are already uh, in scarce supply. Uh, and, and that's going to have an impact on the geopolitics and, and uh, the, the politics of the area. Uh, and this is something that, you know, countries in the region, but also countries like Canada and, 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 and the, U the U.S. and Europe need to start uh, planning for uh, because it will have repercussions uh, throughout the planet. Um, the, the next question, it's something that hits home for me is it's overfishing. I live in a small seaside fishing village here in New Brunswick on the Bay of Funday. And I have mm -hmm. seen the effects of overfishing on a whole bunch of different fish stocks. What can be done to try and prevent overfishing and to reduce the effects of it? That's the things can be done. Of course, we saw the, 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 the cod moratorium. It's had a pretty big impact on, on fisheries throughout the Atlantic and, and one that course came to um had a had a big impact on families and workers uh uh but it very much highlights the need to to um to balance uh to balance the interests of, of you know fishing communities and, and and workers throughout throughout canada with uh, the reality that we live in a world of finite resources and that mm -hmm. if we if we exploit these resources beyond the point where they can renew in a sustainable way um it's going to have an economic impact um right now the oceans uh throughout the world are 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 changing uh, spectacularly uh, we're seeing we're seeing uh, species that uh, thrive in warmer waters come closer to our waters and mm -hmm. species that were that we were used to see move even further north as the seas and oceans are warming um, that of course is already having an impact on, on on our fisheries we're seeing also more acidification of the oceans uh less capacity for uh some species to reproduce or to uh to 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 exist um in a sustainable way in parts also because of, of course overfishing uh so it's essential that uh canada continues to um fight off climate change because that has an impact on fisheries uh, it's also mm -hmm. essential that canada works to um works to uh to fight off uh overfishing and and by by foreign 
fisheries. Uh, we've seen in China um, and in parts of the world, including around Africa, that uh, Chinese uh, Chinese fisheries are are having a devastating impact on uh, on these um, on these uh, these marine grounds. Uh, and Canada can certainly do much more uh, globally, but also closer to home to protect uh, our marine marine ecosystems. You have you mentioned earlier that you have traveled to different places as a journalist. Can you talk about like the stories and what and your experiences traveling to these countries that most people wouldn't travel to? Well, I, yeah, I started off uh, quite young as a 17-year-old. I, I traveled to Darfur, which was in the middle of, uh, of the civil war uh, in Sudan to document the, the human rights uh, abuses uh, in that area. Um, and then I continued to work in Somalia and um, Yemen, Egypt during the revolution, Libya as well. Uh, most recently, as is part of my work with Human Rights Watch, I was in Ukraine as well during the first few days of the conflict. And... Um, you know, all of these uh, these experiences in these various countries uh, very much brought home the fact that we live in an interconnected whole, uh, world uh, where things that happen tens of thousands of kilometers away can still have an impact here at home in Canada. And so that we need to take uh, notice and we need to be vigilant and we need to take interest in what happens in the rest of the world. Um, <clears throat> but also that uh, we really cannot take anything for granted. Uh, the history of the world is, is replete with, uh, with stable governments that eventually crumbled for various mm -hmm. reasons. But the key, the key reason usually has had something to do with people starting to become unhappy with, with how, how their affairs were managed by uh, the rulers of the day. And, uh, and we've seen in Canada that uh, there is a growing, there, there's growing cynicism and unhappiness with regards to our government, with regards to the way uh, Canada is, is governed. Um, I believe that that has to do with the feeling that people don't feel represented. And once again, you know, the Liberals had promised uh, in 2015 that they would renew or reform our electoral system, and they uh, they 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 chose not to do that. Um, and that feeds more into cynicism. That feeds more into anger with uh, with our government. And those are things that we need to be aware of. And um, and. and you know, they need to become drivers of more political involvement because uh, once again, we can't take anything for granted. We may live in a, in a democracy right now, but there's no assurance that that's still going to be the case 10 years from now or 15 years from now. Uh, no assurance either that climate change won't cause such calamities in the coming decades that uh, we won't have to, uh, we won't, we, you know, that our, 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 our democracy, our systems will be as resilient as we believe that they are. And so that's why we need to invest in preparing for uh, some of these worst case scenarios in order to be more flexible and able to meet the challenge if, if, if these challenges uh, come to knock on our door. And they most likely will. You, uh, you mentioned that you and Ukraine during the first phase of the war. What are your what are your opinions on Canada continuing to supply Ukraine with weapons and money in their 
well, as, as he tried to push the Russians back into Russia. Well, of course, Ukraine needs to uh, needs to be able to defend itself. Uh, Ukraine is is the is the victim of a horrendous aggression uh, by the Russian Federation. It started in 2014. It escalated in 2022. Uh, I've documented numerous cases of egregious abuses and violations of the laws of wars by Russian uh, by the Russian military. Um, of course, I'm also, you know, I'm worried about the escalation of that conflict. I think, yeah, I think mm-hmm. many people are worried about about the possibility, you know, given that we have such an irrational actor in the Kremlin who has been threatening to use nuclear weapons. Many people are concerned about that. Uh, but at the core, you know, this is uh, Ukraine is is a country that is defending its its territory, its right to exist. Uh, and Canada is absolutely right to support that and right to support the, the, the br- brave Ukrainians who are fighting for to defend their homes and their communities. Um, having spent a lot of time in conflict, in various conflicts throughout the world and seen many countries where rights are violated, it's sometimes, mm-hmm. I'm sometimes a bit, you know, puzzled at, uh, at why we don't extend the level of solidarity and support that we are offering Ukrainians right now to other countries that are also living through hell. Uh, mm-hmm. Syria is one example. There are many countries in Africa that are also faced with horrendous uh, conflicts. Uh, but that doesn't mean in any way that we, uh, we aren't doing the right thing in supporting Ukraine right now. This is a challenge to, uh, uh, to democracy and it's a challenge to the right uh, of, of Ukraine to exist. Uh, we have many, many Canadians of Ukrainian uh, Ukrainian descent here in this country who have family uh, in, in, in the country uh, who are worried every day about whether their loved ones might, might be killed. Um, and uh, we need to be solidary and we will continue to be. My final question for you is you have already answered this question, but I like to ask this question to all my guests. What are your thoughts of about changing the electoral system away from first past the post to something more proportional and representative? Oh, well, it's, it's crucial. Uh, we, <laughs> I agree. Need, we need to, yeah, it's crucial. I mean, Ontario elected or re-elected Doc Ford with roughly 17% of the amount of the total amount of voters that exist in the province mm-hmm. and they re-elected doc ford for uh for a majority uh with a majority government majority mandate in, in at queen's uh, queen's park um and that's 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 just absolutely tragic given the fact that uh this is the government that can do pretty much whatever it wants for the next four years uh, we've seen them be delay on social justice, on environmental justice, on, environment, on climate action. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is another four years that will be lost to uh, to an electoral system that is uh, that is that is not properly representing the will and and uh, the the interests of Ontarians uh, to such an extent that Ontarians had decided that it wasn't even worth voting. So yes, of course, the the system needs to be changed. Is there any electoral system that you are a fan of, or just any is better than what we have? Well, the party, our party, very much supports the mixed-member proportional uh, system, which mm-hmm. allows us, on the one hand, to continue to have 
regional representation. I think that's that's essential given the the diversity of uh, of cultures and interests throughout this country. Uh, it's 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 essential that people in a specific area feel like they are represented by someone or a few people in Ottawa. But we also need to make up for uh, for the, the 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 failures of that that. that representative system to also address the, the, the question of popular vote, right? Um, and and so adding additional members of parliament uh, that are, uh, you know, that are selected uh, on the basis of the amount of, of votes, uh, I think is, is essential to balance some of these pressures. Well, Jonathan, that's all the questions I have. Is there anything you would like to say to the people listening to this? Just a strong encouragement to get involved in politics. Uh, it's, uh, it can be daunting. It can feel scary. It can feel mm -hmm. boring even, but, uh, it's, it really is our only tool to enact change in this country right now. And we need to enact change. We need to fight for our future and our, uh, the, the, the future of our children and grandchildren. Uh, uh, the, the decisions that are being made in Ottawa and in the provinces right now uh, will have such an incredible, extraordinary impact for the decades to come, if not for the centuries to come. And that moment is now. Uh, and that brings an extra, you know, that brings a very special responsibility on all of us to, to get involved in politics and, and be aware and participate as much as possible in creating a society that our children and grandchildren will be uh, will be proud of. Uh, but right now we're failing at the task, uh, which is why we need more people involved. Well, Jonathan, uh, thank you for taking time every day to do this interview with me. It was it was thank very informative. I, I, I learned a lot. Dude. I learned a lot today. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Logan, for taking the time and uh, keep keep up the good work. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Huh? Bye. Bye bye. And this has been the Manifesto. I'm your host, Logan. And today my guest was Jonathan Pedno, co-leader of the Federal Green Party. Thank you for listening.